We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash hack it out. Just go to Indeed.com slash hack it out right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash hack it out. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right, it's Hack It Out Golf Podcast time. Myself, Mark Crosswood, Lou Stagner, and Greg Chalmers is still with us. We are talking biggest golf regrets today. We've all had them, or maybe still have them, or maybe we don't. Let's find out what our biggest golf regrets are. Hello, guys. How are you both doing? What an amazing episode last week with Corey. I just want to point anyone who's listening who hasn't checked out, uh, checked out last week's pod or whenever you're listening to this pod, one where we got the chance to speak to legend that is Corey Pavin. Wasn't that fantastic? I was like kid in a candy stop, uh, shop in that week. That was so good. Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I'm sure it was nothing for Greg because Greg is good friends with him. But uh, for Mark and I, we were fanboys for sure. Yeah, yeah I, sl- I slipped into fanboy mode a little bit. It's great. <laughs> He's such a good dude. And and look, I ended up, we're going to talk about regrets, I imagine, here in a minute. But uh, I ended up regretting that I hadn't asked him some of those questions earlier. Wow. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. And that's why the podcast is quite interesting for you as well, Greg. Certainly with a guest who was a good friend of yours, you do get to be a presenter to him a bit more. And that does make you think of some different questions sometimes, which Absolutely. is an interesting one. So biggest golf regrets, who wants to kick it off? Lou, you choose. Do you want to go first, shall I, or do you want Greg to go first? I will, I will defer to the, the PGA Tour pro in the room. Greg, right. what's one of your biggest golf regrets? Oh, uh, well, we've already covered it. When, one of them was my, my inability to uh, ask the right questions of my peers when I was emerging and, <laughs> and uh, talk to some people because it's surprising how easily people are happy to share information um, when, you, when you're coming through the game. There's particularly when you get into talking to people in my age bracket in their 40s and then later in their career even older. They're actually very ready and actually almost in a way want to share that information if they're a good person. Um, and yeah. I should have, when I was younger, I should have asked those some good questions of, of some of my peers and some of my idols. And I did when I was uh, in my late thirties, I started to ask, I went around and asked, you know, a bunch of players what they used to think about when they were over the ball. And I went to places like uh, Azinger, uh, Tom Watson um, and, uh, and players like that. Uh, I think I got some feedback too from uh, Nick Price, you know, and it was just to confirm that I was on a right track for what I was thinking about over the ball. But I should have done that earlier. Um, yeah. On the equipment side, I should not have played Nike equipment for such a long period of time, um, <laughs> to be brutally honest. Uh, you know, 34 drivers in a 32-event season, I think I used. Um, and Are you making that up or is that real? 
No, that's absolutely correct. 34 drivers in 32 weeks I used. I cha- every, I'd, I'd change drivers. This doesn't work. And I couldn't get it in the air. Um, and we didn't have – it was pre-launch monitor, but you could see the ball flag. It was just – it which, it just wasn't a great it's, driver, not for me, unless you had a lot of power. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I don't want to – obviously, you're probably good friends with them, and I've been on tour ranges and spent time with tour fitters. But And obviously, each tour fitter is – contracted to the company they're fitting with you get a few like i've got a good friend who's a tour fitter for a massive company and he is able to cross over with companies he's built up this kind of good honest relationship with his with all the players on tour which is really great to see but that must have been a hard gig so lou like when you when you're on a tour range and you're with the tour fitters like they that their job is to sell the product that they're contracted to like as much Correct. as it is to help the player, their job is to get product in those bags so that then the companies can win counts, club wedge counts, putter counts, driver counts. Like that, that's the whole goal is to get them in there. That must have been a hard gig for that poor fitter. Yeah, to be it having was. To- Oh, here's Greg. Yeah, I'm just yeah. here for my lunch, guy. Yeah, Greg's correct. Just... <laughs> yeah, build me another driver. And that was in the day, too. They weren't able to just tweak them in and out with different shafts yeah, to they, build it. Yeah. And they had these yeah. big encased, they put the heads in these big molds so they could bend it and add more loft or add more lie or loft, you know, change everything. So it was, I mean, I would have been a pain in their backside for at least, you know, three or four years. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was something I look back on. And look, I don't mean to talk it, but they don't make golf clubs anymore. So it's fine. They Not make a lovely true. shirt. <laughs> um, I'm really happy with that shirts and hats, but um, I, I wasn't. I was. I look back on that, and I probably I had eight years with them, and and their equipment is certainly on the wood side of things just wasn't up to something that I could use. But um, outside of that, um, I probably just wish I. And this is going to sound. I mean, it's just something that we say as players. But I, I just when I wish I was when I was playing well, I really recognised that what I was playing well was good and believed that I was at a level that I was playing at. I just uh, I didn't believe that I was as good as what I was, unfortunately. And uh, that's a bit of a regret that I look back at. Look back at. What yeah, would that's you have, the interesting one. What would you have changed about that? So just, I just needed to someone to, and people around me were trying to tell me, um, I just, there's, I don't know how you, just it's a real-time awareness um, that you are on a good track. You know, I got to 53 in the world and I thought I had to, I guess I thought I had to change things to get even better. And really I just had to keep doing what I was doing. And I kept tweaking my swing. And before you knew it, four years later, I couldn't hit the side of a barn. Um, So yeah, that, that kind of, I wish I'd have just kept going on the path I was on um, instead of trying to fix things. I got kind of more into that Padraig Harrington sort of let's keep tweaking the golf swing, thinking it's going to get better when reality was, it was pretty good already. Um, And so that, that's something I look back at and like, man, I wish I could go back in time and just keep on that track on that path. That's really interesting. And I've seen that on the ranges I've been lucky enough to spend time on. You know, I see players working on position-based ideas, movements, and I'm not saying position-based movements and ideas aren't helping them, but lots of the times I stand there and just think, like, what is this based on? Like, show me the stats and the number you're trying to move. Show me the delivery option you're trying to move. And often these students on tour and these guys, they weren't even using a launch monitor to quantify what they were working on was even changing anything. And I think there are definitely more tools now, Lou, for players to not get lost in that pattern that Greg is talking about now. But as Greg will probably assure, like tell us, because it's a, you could argue it's a little bit of a generational change and it's certainly a change in thinking. 
there's plenty of players still out there will get lost because they're not using the tools that make it maybe much clearer for them to see that they are on the right path or not. Because we could see if you're trending, Lou, that's fair, isn't it? You can see which way a player's trending on tour, performance-wise, long game, driving, short game, chipping. You, you could give sure, a, yeah. a dry, analytical, reality-based rather than what Greg's saying there, which was so much more around just feeling like this is what needs to be done a little bit. So, I mean, it's so hopefully that's something that will change a bit. So, Greg, I wonder with you if uh, the feeling that you, you had where you thought you weren't good enough, were, those were your, did you say, exactly say that? I yeah, felt like yeah, I wasn't good correct. enough. Correct. Yeah, so yeah. I wonder if it would have been different for you if you felt you're, you were good enough. So do you think, let me, let me try to ask this a better way. Do you think your decline in performance, you said four years later, you couldn't hit the side of a barn. Do you think it was due to your swing changes that you made or the confidence issue? A bit of both. Yeah, a definitely bit of both. a bit of both. Yeah, definitely fell into the trap of um, I want to make my swing pretty. And in actuality, it, it was it was just fine. It was actually a really lovely golf swing. Talking sort of early 2000, um, that yeah. kind of range. Yeah. I, had, I finished, yeah. I think I finished 41st. See, I finished 41st on the money list. Um, I think it was 2000. So 2000. And it's great golf. Like there's only mm -hmm. 40 guys better than you. Just keep yeah. doing what you're doing. And no, yeah. no, we've got to keep changing and building. And, and I, I, I regret that a little bit. Uh, and, and look, and like I said, when we spoke just, you know, when we interviewed um, uh, in my podcast that we did, uh, you play up and down to your belief pattern. And if you don't believe you're awesome, you will play down to eventually you'll get back to where you're comfortable. And that's what I love about American, you know, upbringings. It's, it's pumping you up all the time. And then eventually there's a lot of guys who technically aren't that sound but they play up to their belief pattern that they're awesome because that's what they believe. They're on a journey to being awesome. And, yeah, so and, I, and it, yeah. it's hard to quantify, but that's what they do. I wonder yeah. if it would have been different for you. And, and I'm going to kind of uh, use Tiger as the example here. I wonder if it would have been different for you if you had extreme confidence, you were just filled to the brim with confidence, but you still said, you know what? I think I can get better and let me go make a bunch of swing changes. Um, and remember Tiger did that. Um, Tiger reached number one in the world, uh, you know, in less than a year, I think it was, it, it was, it was pretty fast. And he, not too long after that, you know, we remember the story, he revamped his entire swing because he thought he could get better. I'm assuming at that point in time that he probably wasn't lacking in confidence. Um, mm -hmm. I'm, I wonder if your journey would have been different if you were just filled up with belief in your game, but also thought I can get better. Because that's a little different than I'm not good enough. I need to get better. Right. And I think part of it, Lou, might be confidence in the right areas too. I, I think the baseline I have now when I'm making change or an adjustment is, is there proof in the ball flight? Is there proof in the sound and the feel? The proof is always in the ball flight. And I was making changes based around um, my coach telling me that it's good, even though all evidence in front of me was I just hit it out of bounds. So, <laughs> you know, that's the... That's the part where you think it's you, you, you think you're going to take one step back to go forward too. Reality is I just kept going back just a little bit incrementally until you know a few years later I've lost my card and, and blah blah blah. But yeah, there's there's definitely you've got you actually have to have the confidence too. And confidence can be multifaceted. You can you have to have the confidence to say to your coach, um, no, that doesn't work for me. We need to find a different way. Yeah, totally. Um, right. And and in the coach's defense back then, it, you know, there weren't many other as a golf coach, like if you came to a lessons for me now, I've got so many tools I can use to quantify what I'm doing. 
you know, I can even do it remotely with uh, Lou to a certain extent. He's got a launch monitor. He's got a hack it out motion sensor. I can quantify things that I might see and language that he uses and measure to see if any of that might make an effect to his action. And then even once you've changed an action, that doesn't mean that they're going to be a better player. You then can then quantify it with him, like someone like Lou. He's going to collect the stats and say, look, that isn't any better. I know it looks better and the numbers say that it's better, but I'm not scoring any better. So we're, we're back then. I just don't think in defense of the coaches they just didn't i mean if you came for lessons eve back then most coaches would have done the same thing you want to get better well we have to change your swing that's where else do you go that, that's, right. they haven't got another tool to use they haven't got another arm to their bow or they, they haven't got anything else so it was definitely yeah it's like you're trying to predict the future a little bit right it's like to try to predict the future yeah we're going to make this change it's going to make you better and yeah. in some cases that doesn't work out and that's kind of Kind of how it was at the time. So anyway, that's my regrets. The long list. I, <laughs> I do. Have, I like it. Yeah, I do. But I do have one more question. I'm curious about this, and I, and I don't want it to sound like I'm picking on Nike, and and I don't want this question to sting. Do you think it would have been different for you if you had different equipment? Like, do you think some of the things you went through would have potentially not been there? I, I can't imagine going through 34 drivers in, in 32 rounds feels very good. 32 um, weeks, 32, 32 weeks. weeks, sorry, yeah. 32 weeks. Um, no, it doesn't. Um, and look, would it have been different? Yeah, well, the equipment matters, right? You know, that's what we use. So yeah, having a driver that launches and, and goes in the air, yeah, that could have had a large impact in, as you would well know, on on what's what happens at the end of a week. Because, you know, one shot here or there is a massive deal on a PGA Tour. So sure. um, yeah, look, I don't, look, they thought they were doing the right thing and the right, that's fine. I, I just... I just struggled with their equipment and I wasn't, I don't believe I was the only one. The guys who generated the most speed totally were. were the ones who had the most success. And I just yeah. didn't generate that kind of speed. Yeah. Yeah. I've spoken to plenty of tour players and the stories around ball and, and clubs with the, it, it, it was predominantly, it's a money chat first and then it's a performance chat second, basically, you know, it was just financially made sense for them to play those games, uh, those equipment. And again, back in those times, they couldn't quantify the things that you're now saying. You know, you'd get on a launch monitor within two seconds and work out that that drive is just not going to work for you. And you'd pick one up from another manufacturer and go, look, there's the numbers straight away. I, I want that flight, those numbers. Either build that or I'll be putting a Nike egg cover on that driver, basically subject to contract. So right. again, it's, it's the tools are so much better now, isn't it? Right, right. Um, Regret. I'm going to go my regret next. So I'm going to leave yours to last. You leave I feel like last? yours could get. I feel like I might need to put like sad music on for yours when I edit oh, it. Yeah. You know, because like, yeah. I can feel like your regrets are going to. Cue it up. Cue it up. I don't have many regrets. I live. I don't. I try not to have regrets in life. I've always, if I want to do something, I generally do it. So regrets for me has always been a harder one. Um, cause I always think if I was going to regret that, I would have just given it a go. But the thing I do regret now, and it's through obviously learning and where we all are now is in my golf. I've just written distance, distance, distance. Like I perfected trying to hit the ball as straight as I could, because that's what we were meant to do. You know, I, I didn't play with many golfers who hit the ball straighter than me. If you played with any golfers back in the day who I played with, they would have giggled at how accurate my game was. I spent hours in nets hitting positions because that's what the Ledbetter videos told me to do. Um, 
and I can go on a launch monitor now and I can change any number on its own, isolated. I can change an angle of attack and sustain a, a dynamic loft. Like my control of delivery is good, but it just happens at a perfectly slow speed, yeah. <laughs> which means when you get into national events where there's just genetically stronger kids now at amount, you know, in amongst the good players, like if my short game isn't tight as, I'm just constantly battling. Um, you know, I'm hitting a third shot onto a par five and they're having two putts for a birdie. And my third shots, the par fives were good. I could make birdies, but they just weren't coming out enough for par fives. I'm having three, uh, four third shots. They're having one third shot and three of them, they're greenside or on in two. And back then, no one saw that. It was no, I, I went to plenty of lessons. No one really ever said, look, you've got to be in those par fives in two. So, you know, if I could go back in a in a time machine and speak to myself when the odd people who said to me, maybe you should think about getting bigger, my dad, one of them, like, why didn't you go to the gym? I would make that clear that that's very, very important. So I, I see it as a regret. I also don't mind because I love my place in golf and what I've done in golf anyway. So if I'd have done that, I might have been one of those, you know, not making it onto any of the proper tours, failing tour pros and not earned much money and being really bitter in life with golf, where I actually really love golf now when I play with my mates all around the world and have the, one of the best jobs in the world, to be fair, in golf for myself. So, But distance definitely would have been my biggest regret that I didn't. Because I think as well, what I think is that I was given the agenda of controlling the club face, hitting the ball straight, having control of distance. And I achieved it because that's what they told me to do. So right. if someone would have said, well, you need to do that and you need to hit it 30 yards further. I know as a 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old kid. Okay. If you tell me to do that, I'll just do it. I don't care. I didn't care what I was doing. Like there was Greg said it in his podcast and I just totally agreed. And I would love to have known Greg, uh, as a kid because he said he outpracticed everyone because I would have had that I would have been up for that I would if I was a junior growing up with Greg and we were at the same club we would have bounced off each other crazy for practice because I would have made sure that I spent at least one hour extra on whatever practice area than he did just so all the members <laughs> saw that I was out there a bit longer <laughs> and when it was raining and he didn't fancy going out I would have been the one out there just so the people in the clubhouse would have gone, cool, look at Mark, and he work hard. Like, <laughs> I really said that, it totally resonated with me. So if someone would have said, you know, you do what you're doing, but let's just hit it 30, 50 yards further, I would have done it as a kid. I just would have right. done it. Um, so I would say that's my biggest you're one. You're just a bit of a, uh, you, I mean, you grew up in a similar era to me, Mark, I'd imagine. Yeah. Probably, it's you're just a victim to of not a victim, but you you basically you you adjust to the equipments in front of you, you know. And I I remember the first time we had a buddy of mine. He put a graphite shaft in a wooden head, hitting a bladder ball, and it might have been when the professional ball came out, you know, that kind of era, yeah. late nineties or whenever it was, mid nineties, uh, mid nineties. And anyway, I remember like, wow, this is going miles, but we just didn't want to hit it that hard because it just spun more and went further offline, you know. Ooh. And that's why you had guys like six foot four Nick Faldo who swung it really smooth. You yeah, know, totally. And there was it? only yeah. a few guys like a Norman or, you know, I think he went at it pretty hard. There was only a few guys to look up to that went, oh, wow, they're really going at it. There was a lot of guys that was just smooth, wasn't it? It was really smooth. Yeah, swings. 100%. Yeah. And the agenda was, you know, because and you hear it even now in the people who champion rollback. They want to see three and four irons into par fours. Like that's a generalization, I know, but there's groups that want to see that, which is fine. But 
Faro had three and four irons into, into greens because that's the system he felt worked for him. And it did work. Six majors. You can't deny the best English golfer of all time and one of the best golfers of all time. I'm not saying Nick wasn't great. But who's not to say that he could have won not won 12 majors? You see, if he had worked out that distance might give him an extra edge over some other players. I mean, it's, it's all, obviously, no one knows this, but it's those kind of ideas. Um, I, I 100% agree. It was... basically it was genetics so I was genetically gonna lose I'm 5'11 and I was a stick insect as a kid and I remember distinctly playing in the national events that I played with and the kids were men like when I was playing under 18 events they were men I was a kid at 16 and 15 I wasn't getting into any nightclubs do you know what I mean? I wasn't right, shaving. Right. There were kids right. at 16 who were like bigger than my dad. And I used to compete because I was like scrappy do and holding 20 foot putts and stiffing free woods from 220 out kind of stuff. But right. that doesn't sustain. Hence, they would win, go up, get on tour. And I would be like finishing top 10. And people go, cool, top 10. That's really good. Well done. Well, it is good, but top 10 at that level won't get on tour. You need to be top one or two in every week if you want to then get on to tour. And, you know, all the players who got on to tour, Steve Webster, David Al went on to play Ryder Cup, um, Mark Foster, Anthony Wall, these players I used to play against, they were not hitting it my distance. I mean, I played against a European tour pro, I think he still plays now, called Steve Webster. Yeah. Uh, we played in the British boys and he was 30 yards past me. Like, was he, was really, he was sneaky long too. He was sneaky oh, long well, through know, size. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah he's very good player. Into a, he had a 7-9 into a green in the British boys that I had a 3-wood into. Yeah. And basically we played we played at a course where it rained the night before I got to play Steve. The day before I'd like knocked out the top French seed, which he didn't like. Um, but then really heavy downpour. So all of a sudden that course, the run was gone. Like there was pointless me turning up. Like my weapon had gone. I'm chasing it 20 yards. That's gone. You know, uh, I'm now not hitting as close because the ball's landing on the green and just stopping. Well, I've been playing and landing and rolling up to the flags. It's like uh, and when you've got a 7 iron, 9 iron to green, like Webster had, it didn't matter that it stopped. Like, that's exactly what he was just throwing it at the pin, letting it stop. I was in a free wood and wanted it to chase a bit. And it landed on the front of the green, good shot. But it's not a good shot now because it's 40 foot short because it's I can't read. Right. So yeah, and I, the, the alarm bells didn't ring back then. Like the right. alarm bells weren't sounding. Well, I, I think the, I, was, I think the interesting they're, they're better and I'm not as good. Well, yeah. I don't know actually. They just had a skill I didn't work at. Yeah, and that's that's the thing we've we've you know I think we've touched on this a little bit in the past. It, it, length has gone from um, you have to have that you have to have that now. You, it's gone from yeah. something that was a you know a bonus or it, to now it's a necessity. You know, yeah. you have to have that as in your skill set. And and that's just, that's evolved very quickly in terms of evolution. It's certainly gone reasonably quickly in the golf world in the last little bit. But yeah, it's interesting too. I played the up tees on uh, the North course on a Saturday when I missed the cut at, um, at the Farms Insurance, right? At Torrey Pines. I played the, we played yeah. an up tees, played with the members on the, on, it's just, and they redone it. It was a pretty long course. And I was amazed at how much more patient I could be because I can reach all the par five. I'm hitting irons in the par five. So I wasn't super, I could pull back on some of the harder yeah, holes knowing totally. I've got this six iron into a par five coming up. I'm probably going to birdie that more often than not. Right. And it yeah. really affected my mindset. And I'm like, this is how the long guys are. They're so, it's so much easier knowing totally you're going to reach game. four of these things. Yes. 
Yes. We did a we did a test once in a video, me and Matt, who I filmed with. And he, I was Rory McElroy and he was Brooks Kepka, was like the joke of the video, right? So we looked at their average driving distances and we moved our ball. So wherever we hit our drive, we had to carry on in a straight line, but move it on 30 or 40 or 50 yards, subject to our averages to their average. But what we did, we, we thought that's the idea of the video. So we filmed it. We started filming. We started on this path four. So like if you hit it towards out of bounds and you move 50 yards on, it goes out of bounds, then your ball's out of bounds. So you, you still have to think like, where am I hitting this? But then we thought, hang on, this is, it's not, so I moved my drive 40 yards forwards. I've now got a six iron in from 190. Well, Rory's got an eight iron. So I have to move it again. It's not just the drive, because not only do they win off the tee, they then win in the rules of D plane, where I'm having to hit from 200 yards a hybrid, they're in a six or seven iron. So it's like, I get to move it twice. And we did this and it was like, Oh my God, these holes are not the par that we're used to playing. This par five, which was in Spain, we did it, lake in front of the par five. And we always like have a go at it fun, you know, try and sling a drive and have a go for it for our seconds. We played this game and I think I was in an eight or nine iron in there. And it's like, this This is, I've walked with Rory and that's basically, if he got his tee shot away on the line, I got mine on, that's what he would be hitting. That is such a different hole now. Um, so it was, that was eye-opening. So that was my regret, uh, Lou. But well, it's also I, my bonus as well, because I, it, it, like I said, it didn't make me stay on some crappy tour spending my money earning no money. So I'm, I've done, So my regret's actually a bonus as well. Lou, yeah. what's your regret? Come well, on, I you do must have, a, have one regret, don't uh, you? Just one little one. regret. <laughs> way more than one. Um, I do need to know how much of a distance gap was there or how far were you hitting it? You said 20 to 30 yards, but how far were you hitting it back then when you were competitive in your late teenage years? So I was playing great big Bertha era. So the driver in the video we talked about before, yeah. that's what the era okay. I was talking about. Yep. So David Howe was driving. He played in front of me in a Southwest week county thing when we were county players. He drove a par four. And the reason I put this out there as in a, an interesting story, I was behind them and we were waiting for them. They were like looking around the green. It was a short par four, but I was going to have a 40 yard pitch in there. Um, he, he had a hole in one on it. They were looking around the green, so he whacked it at the green, and it's a bit bowly, and they're looking around the green, and someone went, it's in, it's in, it's in the bloody hole. <laughs> so, it, it, like, really, it just stood out as a real distinct memory, because I was thinking, well, I can't reach this green. He's, he's had a hole in, so he's able to have a score that is physically impossible for me to have. Not because he's hit it straighter, not because he can hit it straighter, because he just can reach this green and I can't. So David, who was a long, did you ever play with Howler, Greg? Or oh long? yeah, multiple you, times, multiple times. I yeah. mean, he was long. David yes. hit it a good distance. Yeah. Yes. He was yes. always long, but he never practiced being long. David didn't even really practice, to be fair. He wasn't a hard oh. practicer. I would have out, I've out practiced him 20 million times. Um but he just naturally was long and Webster was the same. Anthony Wall hit it a good distance. They all hit it long. So I reckon I was between 20 to 50 yards behind subject to what they wanted to hit off the tee. So like were you hitting it at 250? Yeah, I would have been two with that club. And I would have been, that was pre, that would have been pre modern ball. Right, so I right. stopped playing golf to coach for four or five years. And that's when the ball chased. Cause I remember coming back to the pro V and hitting chip shots and then not checking. Like I was thinking, why is that not where the Bellata, you could properly like 
check that ball up crazy. Like I used to chip with it, like land it three foot from the old, you know, one, two wing bounce and it would literally stop. Where the blah, I was chipping. It was like, this is really odd. Everyone says this ball's great. I think it's stupid because it, it doesn't check. But obviously we weren't measuring the distance of the tee. So I reckon 20 to 50 yards subject to what they want to do with it. And that would have been pre-Pro-V pre and Great Big Burfer era. Right on the crossover, basically, it would have been. Nice. So, yeah, a lot of free woods in the greens. And I'll be honest with you, my free wood in the greens is world class. The trouble is, I just have too many of them. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a free wood in the green at world class, is it in it 20, you know, 20 yards away, 15 yards away, double is 15 yards away. I'm still in a bunker sometimes because right, right. that's I'm still close to the hole, but Good I'm shot, in though. a bunker. Well <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so Lou, pin it, pin it down, Lou. Come on, uh, mate. Cue up the music. Where, where's the music yeah. leading to this? <laughs> Let's hear those regrets. Uh, how many do I get? Is this one? <laughs> get one quick one. Uh, one quick one. So I would probably say I would not have switched over from playing left-handed uh, and switched to playing right-handed. I would have stuck with left-handed because my coordination left-handed is, is tenfold better than it is right-handed. Um, if I throw a, a you know baseball bat or, you know, throw a golf ball up and swing a club like a baseball bat, I can pick it out of the air left-handed all day. My putting is still yeah. left-handed. I can throw a ball up and pick it out of the air clean every time with the putter. You ask me to do it, um, you know, right-handed with a driver and it's the swing and a miss. So I think I had much more coordination um, and, uh, you know, abilities as a lefty. So I would not have switched. That's, that's probably my biggest regret. What led to the switch? Uh, I tore my ACL and had okay. a few surgeries and it was my okay. right leg. Um, and so I wasn't really huge into golf. Um, so I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I, I was a, a scratch player, um, and I switched over after that. I was, you know, I occasionally broke 90 and I didn't play that much. Uh, and then after I tore my ACL and, and couldn't really do other sports, you know, golf became something I really started to get into. And after my surgery, um, I kind of spent a summer hitting chip shots with hundred percent of my weight on my left leg in the backyard and just kind of learning that way. And, and, um, and just ended up sticking with it. Um, and I, there's been plenty of times where my game, you know, go, it can go sour. Um, and I've thought, I've honestly thought about switching back to left-handed and I've honestly thought about trying to uh, continue to play right-handed and switch back to left-handed and see if I could get to single digit as a lefty and maintain being single digit as a righty. Cause that would be, that'd be kind of fun, but um yeah, yeah. requires way more time than I probably have to spend. <laughs> I got. Uh... Yeah, I played with a pro. I played with a pro literally last week. He is a professional right-handed, and he's got to eight handicap left-handed. Took him three years to get to eight handicap. Oh wow, Lou, cool. I've got I've got a garage full of Nike drivers. If you ever need some left-handed stuff, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no you can have them. I'm in. Yeah, <laughs> I'll even pay for the shipping. You can Send have me them. all thirty-four of them. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Your left-handedness, Greg, you were always like, did you bat left-handed as a cricket yeah, I bowl, player? I, yeah, bowl right, bat left, throw anything one hand, throw right, bat left. So right side dominant. So I, my, I feel like I've always wondered what it feels like to get power generated from pushing past the ball because I feel power from pulling down into the okay. ball because my right side, lead side. But anyway, it's a technical thing. But um, yes, yes, I'm right-handed. So I'm the opposite of Lou, right? 
his, well, no. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I, I throw with my right hand and I know exactly what you mean by, by that. When I play right-handed, I, I feel like all my power is pushing with my right, right. hand. Yeah. And when I play left-handed, whether that be try to swing a golf club lefty or a, a baseball bat, all my power is still with my right hand, but now it feels like it's pulling um, yeah. versus pushing. What's really what... interesting, Lou, as well, I've done a number of lessons over the years where I've worked out that they are very lopsided. And I reckon if we looked at your swing enough, as in if you were someone who came to me each week, I would have asked that question. I, I can think of a number of lessons where I, who are playing right-handed, but they do a fault, and it's often the stand in the club up that you do, and you just think, this guy is too coordinated to make this move look so difficult. And then you ask them, like, which way do you play tennis? Which do you play cricket? Which, and then they, they actually, they would do lots of things the other way. And you think, ah, yep. okay. Like, and the other one that you get is when people, it's called reverse pivot, old-fashioned. You know, like your hips slide to the right as a right-hander and your head goes forward. Like, it's a move. I'm doing it on camera. They can see it, which I look at in a coordinated golfer. You know, they play off three or something right. and they do that move. And I just think, who makes that move? Like, how can you hit the ball by coordinating your body that way? It's so weird. And then you ask them about other sports things and they are very mixed. And you think, ah, okay, I get that. They've got an inner battle inside between each side. Which hand uh, tennis, Greg? Always uh, right. Got a killer backhand though. Double-handed backhand. Yeah. Have you, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy yeah. backhand more than I do forehand, to be honest. Um, there you go. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I so thought about landed at tennis. There you go. Yeah. When I way. sent you one of my swings a while ago, Mark, um, my left-handed swing, although it, 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 you know, the ball flight is, is horrific and horrible. It looks a lot better than my right-handed swing. So yeah, I bet the, you don't stand the shaft. Oh, not even close, right not even close. Right. So I honestly thought about sending, like recording my swing left-handed and, flipping and reversing it. and flipping the video and making yeah. it look like it was a right-handed swing. To, so well, you well, I played left-handed in a video recently and I, I edited it, yeah. flipped it and put it on Instagram and everywhere. And I literally duffed the ball five yards. Yeah, and giggled. it's great. And it was so interesting looking at the comments, people going, Oh, good to see you're human. Like the people are thinking that's me hitting a right-handed shot. Like I just think, wow. Yeah. I look at it. Uh, Cause I gave it to my daughter to watch and said, it was like, she's played hardly at all saying like, can you look what's happening in this shot? Can you see anything? And she kind of could see it, but couldn't really. It just amazed me that people couldn't see that that isn't my normal swing by just flipping it. it would you be, had a pretty good uh, left-handed swing. It wasn't bad. It went five yards at best. No, Lou. but the one off the two <laughs> shot that you, that you hit Six and about, <laughs> it really was three holes left. You hit it. That's not a bad swing that you had off the tee. Well, I, I, we worked out I would be a 20 handicapper, no practice left-handed. I hit some okay shots. It's yeah. What was really interesting is as soon as you got me on lies the other way around. So that shot where I duff it, I'm trying to punch a hybrid through a gap in a tree. So if you just put me on a mat and I'm just going to try and pop a hybrid forward, I would not really hit a duff like that. But that one I was trying to hit like a low stinger because my brain is still thinking right-handed. Like I can do this. I got this. <laughs> so, so Greg, what would you be if you, I'm sure you've hit plenty of right-handed clubs being out there as, as a left-handed player and everyone else pretty much is right-handed. If you had to go out and play right-handed, how would you do? I'd probably shoot somewhere between 110 and 120 at best. Yeah. You think yeah. so? Yeah. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Um, you wouldn't take much practice. I reckon, honestly, I, I reckon you put a year to it. You would be teens to, 
10 even lower like you're because you've got so much knowledge in there that's what i found like the you can't execute the shot but you know what you should be doing you just think if you just let me go to the range or give me to i'll work this out and then come back and then i'll do it you you would work it out you i played i played a practice round once with tim wilkinson the left-hander new zealand left-hander and he whipped out he's very good whipped out driver from uh, one of our playing partners right-handed out drove himself (laughs) <laughs> like, you're playing the wrong way mate <laughs> oh, I like that. excellent there we go biggest regrets thanks guys that was fun we've all got regrets but we also haven't because we're all pretty happy with where we are and what we've achieved and greg absolutely top 50 getting to top 50 in the world i like that one just reminding yourself that you are actually doing very well is a good thing to do in life as ge- in general thanks for listening everybody thanks guys as always leave those stars let us know what your biggest golf regrets are um and uh, always leave a comment down below let us know how we're getting on thanks for listening we'll catch you in the next podcast